The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the London Visited Podcast on your favourite podcast provider, bringing to you the facts, history and information about different parts of this great capital. If you have been to London, are planning on visiting, live here or just love London from afar, then this is the podcast for you. Hi there, I'm Steve and welcome to our podcast. We're here for all things London and to tell you more behind some of the iconic places and people in London's history. In this episode, we go to the River Thames for part two of our three-part series on this river that so much of London relies upon. Don't forget to visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see videos covering this place and so many others across London. Also, if you love the podcast and the channel, why not join us as a member? Join our group of what we like to call our London Visited Crown Jewels, where there are so many different benefits, including a members-only monthly podcast. Have a look by going to patreon.com forward slash London Visited. I also want to say a big thank you to Libsyn, our podcast host, for supporting this episode of the podcast. And now to this week's podcast. Researchers have identified the River Thames as a discrete drainage line, flowing as early as 58 million years ago. Until around 500,000 years ago, the Thames flowed on its existing course through what is now Oxfordshire, before turning northeast through Hertfordshire, and East Anglia, and reaching the North Sea, near present-day Ipswich. At this time, the river system headwaters lay in English West Midlands, and may, at times, have received drainage from the Brerin Mountains in North Wales. Around 450,000 years ago, the most extreme ice age of the Anglican and further southern extent of the ice sheet reached Hornchurch in East London, the Vale of St Albans, and Finchley Gap. It dammed the river in Hertfordshire, resulting in the formation of large ice lakes, which eventually burst their banks and caused the river to divert to its present course through the area of present-day London. The ice lobe, which stopped at present-day Finchley, deposited around 14 metres of boulder clay there. Its torrent of meltwater gushed through Finchley Gap and south towards the new course of the Thames and proceeded to carve out the Brent Valley in the process. The Anglican ice advance resulted in a new course for the Thames through Berkshire and on to London after which the river rejoined its original course in southern Essex, near the present River Blackwater estuary. Here, it entered a substantial freshwater lake in the southern North Sea Basin, south of what is called Doggerland. The overspill of this lake caused the formation of the Channel River and later the Dover Strait Gap between the present-day Britain and France. Subsequent development led to the continuation of the course that the river flows to the present day. Most of the bedrock of the Vale of Aylesbury comprises of clay and chalk, that formed at the end of the Ice Age and at one time was under the Proto-Thames. At this time, the vast underground reserves of water formed that make the water table higher than the average of the Vale of Aylesbury. At the height of the last Ice Age, around 20,000 BC, Britain was connected to mainline Europe by a large expanse of land known as Doggerland in the southern North Sea Basin. At this time, the Thames course did not continue to Doggerland but flowed southwards from the eastern Essex coast where it met the waters of the Proto-Rhine-Meuse-Chinook Delta, flowing from what are now the Netherlands and Belgium. These rivers formed a single river, the Channel River, that passed through the Dover Strait and drained into the Atlantic Ocean in the western English Channel. 
upon the valley sides of the Thames, and some of its tributaries can be seen other terraces of brick earth, laid over and sometimes interlaid with clays. These deposits were brought in by the winds, suggesting that wide, flat marshes were then part of the landscape, which the new rivers proceeded to cut into. The steepness of some of the valley sides indicates very much lower mean sea levels, caused by the glaciation locking up so much water upon the land marshes, thus causing the river water to flow rapidly seaward and so erode its bed quickly downwards. The original land surface was around 350 to 400 feet above the current sea level. The surface and sandy deposits from the ancient sea laid over sedimentary clay. This is the Blue London clay. All the erosion down from this higher land surface and the sorting action by these changes of water flow and direction formed what is known as the Thames, River Gavel Terraces. Since Roman times, and perhaps earlier, the isostatic rebound from the weight of the previous ice sheets and its interplay with the change in sea level have resulted in the old valley of the River Brent, together with that of the Thames, silting up again and thus much along the Brent's present-day course, one can make out the water meadows, which does suffer frequent floods. After the river took its present-day course, many of the banks of the Thames Estuary and the Thames Valley in London were partially covered in marshland, as was the joining Lower Lee Valley. Streams and rivers like the River Lee, Tyburn Brook and Bolo Brook drained into the river, where some islands, e.g. Thorny Island, formed over the ages. The northern tip of the ancient parish of Lambeth, for example, was marshland known as Lambeth Marsh but it was drained in the 18th century. The street name Lower Marsh preserves a memory. The East End of London, simply known as the East End, was an area of London east of the medieval-walled city of London and north of the River Thames. Although it is not defined by universally accepted formal boundaries, the River Lee can be considered another boundary. Most of the local riverside was marshland. The land was drained and became farmland, and it was built on in the Industrial Revolution. Canvey Island in southern Essex was once marshy, but now a fully reclaimed island in the Thames estuary, separated from the mainland of South Essex by a network of creeks. Laying below seawater, it is prone to flooding at exceptional tides, but has nevertheless been inhabited since Roman times. Various species of bird feed off the water or nest on it, some being found both at sea and inland. These include the cormorant, the black-headed gull, and herring gull. The mute swan is a familiar sight on the river, but escaped black swans are more rare. The annual ceremony of swan upping is an old tradition of counting stocks. Non-native geese that can be seen include Canada geese, Egyptian geese and bar-headed geese. And ducks include the familiar native mallard plus the introduced mandarin duck and wood duck. Other water birds to be found on the Thames include the great crested grebe, coot, moorhen, heron and kingfisher. Many types of British birds also live alongside the river, although they are not specific to the river habitat. The Thames contains both seawater and freshwater, thus providing support for seawater and freshwater fish. However, many populations of fish are at risk of being killed in tens of thousands because of pollutants leaking into the river from human activities. Salmon, which inhabit both environments, have been reintroduced and a succession of fish ladders have been built into weirs to enable them to travel upstream. On the 5th of August 1993, the largest non-tidal salmon in recorded history was caught close to Bolter's Lock in Maidenhead. The specimen weighed 14.5 pounds, 6.6 kilograms, and measured 22 inches, 56 centimeters in length. The eel is particularly associated with the Thames, where there were formerly many eel traps. Freshwater fish of the Thames and its tributaries include brown trout, chub, dace, roach, barbel, perch, pike, bleak, and flounder. 
Colonies of short-snouted seahorses, as well as taupe and stary smooth hound sharks, have also recently been discovered in the river. The Thames is also host to some invasive crustaceans, including the signal crayfish and Chinese mutton crab. Aquatic mammals are also known to inhabit the Thames. The population of grey and harbour seals numbers up to 700 in the Thames estuary. These animals have also been sighted as far upriver as Richmond. Bottlenose dolphins and harbour porpoises are also sighted in the Thames. On the 20th of January 2006, a 16 to 18 foot northern bottlenose whale was seen in the Thames as far upstream as Chelsea. This was extremely unusual. This whale is generally found in deep sea waters. Crowds gathered along the riverbanks to witness the spectacle, but there was soon concern as the animal came within yards of the banks, almost beaching and crashing into an empty boat causing slight bleeding. About 12 hours later, the whale is believed to have been seen again near Greenwich, possibly heading back to sea. Now, do you have an idea for a great new podcast? You can bring your idea to life and start your podcast today with Libsyn. Our podcast has been on Libsyn now for over two years, and we love it. Libsyn has everything you need to plan, launch, and grow your own podcast. It provides some of the best resources created by expert podcasters who will show you everything you need to know, like what equipment you should use, how to record great audio, and how to get your show onto Apple Podcasts and other popular platforms, and so much more. If it wasn't for Libsyn when we started the London Visited podcast, we wouldn't be where we are now. They really have helped us to develop our show. Plus, as a friend of London Visited, when you sign up with Libsyn, you get your first month of podcast hosting for free. Now, if you're also like us, you've probably been thinking about having a podcast or hosting a podcast for many years, but just didn't know how to go about it or get round to it. So there really hasn't been a better time to stop that procrastination and get right in there now and start podcasting. So visit libsyn.com and use the code FRIEND, F-R-I-E-N-D, and that's libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, and use your code FRIEND, F-R-I-E-N-D, to get started and create your own podcast today. And who knows, within a couple of years, you will have a successful podcast going with listeners all over the globe able to reach and listen to your material. I wish you all the best, and if you do start, do let us know. The River Thames has played several roles in human history as an economic resource, a maritime route, a boundary, a freshwater source, a source of food, and more recently a leisure facility. In 1929, John Burns, one-time MP for Battersea, responded to an American's unfavourable comparison of the Thames with the Mississippi by coining the expression, the Thames is liquid history. There is evidence of human habitation living off the river along its length, dating back to Neolithic times. The British Museum has a decorated bowl from 3300 to 2700 BC, found in the river at Headsaw, Buckinghamshire, and a considerable amount of material was discovered during the excavations of Dorney Lake. A number of Bronze Age sites and artefacts have been discovered along the banks of the river, including settlements at Leechlade, Cookham, and Sunbury on Thames. So extensive have the changes to this landscape been that what little evidence there is of man's presence before the ice came is inevitably shown signs of transportation here by water and reveals nothing specifically local. Likewise, later evidence of occupation, even since the arrival of the Romans, may lay next to the original banks of the Brent, but have been buried under centuries of silt. Some of the earliest written references to the Thames 
occur in Julius Caesar's account of the second expedition to Britain in 54 BC, when the Thames presented a major obstacle and he encountered the Iron Age Balgic tribes along the river. The confluence of the Thames and Cherwell was the site of early settlements and the river Cherwell marked the boundary between the Donabi tribe to the west and the Catovani tribe to the east. These were pre-Roman Celtic tribes. In the late 1980s, a large Romano-British settlement was excavated on the edge of the village of Ashton Keynes in Wiltshire. Starting in AD 43, under the Emperor Claudius, the Romans occupied England and, recognising the river's strategic and economic importance, built fortifications along the Thames Valley, including a major camp at Dorchester. Cornhill and Ludgate Hill provided a defensible site near a point on the river, both deep enough for the era's ships and narrow enough to be bridged. Londinium, now known as London, grew up around the Walbrook, on the north bank around the year 47. Bodicea's Iceni raised the settlement in AD 60 or 61, but it was soon rebuilt and following the completion of its bridge, grew to become the provincial capital of the island. The next Roman bridges upstream were at Staines on the Devil's Highway between Londinium and Silchester. Boats could be swept up to it on the rising tide with no need for wind or muscle power. The Romano-British settlement grew up north of the confluence, partly because the site was naturally protected from attack on the east side by the River Cherwell, and on the west by the River Thames. This settlement dominated the pottery trade in what is now central southern England. The pottery was distributed by boats on the Thames and its tributaries. Competition for the use of the river created the centuries-old conflict between those who wanted to dam the river, to build mill races and fish traps, to those who wanted to travel and carry goods on it. Economic prosperity and the foundation of wealthy monasteries by the Anglo-Saxons attracted unwelcome visitors, and by around AD 870, the Vikings were sweeping up the Thames on the tide and creating havoc, as in their destruction of Chertsey Abbey. Once King William had won total control of the strategically important Thames Valley, he went on to invade the rest of England. He had many castles built, including those at Wallingford, Rochester, Windsor, and most importantly, the Tower of London. Many details of Thames' activity are recorded in the Doomsday Book. The following centuries saw the conflict between kings and barons coming to a head in AD 1215, when King George was forced to sign the Magna Carta on the island of the Thames at Runnymede. Among a host of other things, he granted the barons the right of navigation under Clause 23. Another major consequence of John's reign was the completion of the multi-peered London Bridge, which acted as a barricade and barrage on the river affecting the tidal flow upstream and increasing the likelihood of the river freezing over. In Tudor and Stuart times, various kings and queens built magnificent riverside palaces at Hampton Court, Kew, Richmond-on-Thames, Whitehall and Greenwich. As early as the 1300s, the Thames was used to dispose of waste matter produced in the city of London, thus turning the river into an open sewer. In 1357, Edward III described the state of the river in a proclamation Dung and other filth had accumulated in divers places along the banks of the river with fumes and other abominable stenches arising therefrom. The growth of the population of London greatly increased the amount of waste that entered the river, including human excrement, animal waste from slaughterhouses and waste from manufacturing processes. According to historian Peter Ackroyd, a public lavatory on London Bridge showered its contents directly onto the river below. The latrines were built over the tributaries that issued into the Thames. During a series of cold winters, the Thames froze over above London Bridge. In the first frost fair in 1607, a tent city was set up on the river 
along with a number of amusements, including ice bowling. In good conditions, barges travelled daily from Oxford to London carrying timber, wool, foodstuffs and livestock. The stone from the Cotswolds used to rebuild St Paul's Cathedral after the Great Fire in 1666 was brought all the way down from Radcot. The Thames provided the major route between the City of London and Westminster in the 16th and 17th centuries. The clannish guild of watermen ferried Londoners from landing to landing and tolerated no outside interference. In 1715, Thomas Doggett was so grateful to a local waterman for his efforts in ferrying him home, pulling against the tide, that he set up a rowing race for professional watermen, known as the Doggett's Coat and Badge. By the 18th century, the Thames was one of the busiest waterways as London became the centre of the vast, mercantile British Empire, and progressively over the next century, the docks expanded in the Isle of Dogs and beyond. Efforts were made to resolve the navigation conflicts upstream by building locks along the Thames. After temperatures began to rise again, starting in 1814, the river stopped freezing over. The building of a new London bridge in 1825 with fewer piers, pillars, than the old allowed the river to flow more freely and prevented it from freezing over in cold winters. Throughout the early modern history, the population of London and its industries discarded their rubbish in the river. This included the waste from slaughterhouses, fish markets and tanneries. The build-up in household cesspools could sometimes overflow, especially when it rained, and was washed into London streets and sewers, which eventually led to the Thames. In the late 18th and 19th centuries, people known as mudlarks scavenged in the river mud for a meagre living. In the 19th century, the quality of the water in the Thames deteriorated further. The discharge of raw sewage to the Thames was formerly only common in the city of London, making its tideway a harbour for many harmful bacteria. Gasworks were built alongside the river and their byproducts leaked into the water, including spent lime, ammonia, cyanide and carbolic acid. The river had an unnaturally warm temperature caused by chemical reactions in the water, which also removed the water's oxygen. Four serious cholera outbreaks killed tens of thousands of people between 1832 and 1865. Historians have attributed Prince Albert's death in 1861 to typhoid that had spread in the river's dirty waters beside Windsor Castle. Wells with water tables that mix with tributaries, or the non-tidal Thames, faced such pollution with widespread installation of the flush toilet in the 1850s. In the Great Stink of 1858, Pollution in the river reached such an extreme that sittings of the House of Commons at Westminster had to be abandoned. Chlorine-soaked drapes were hung at the windows of Parliament in an attempt to stave off the smell of the river, but to no avail. Concerted effort to contain the city's sewage by constructing massive sewer systems on the North and South River embankments followed, under the supervision of the engineer Joseph Baswellgate. Meanwhile, similar huge undertakings took place to ensure that the water supply with the building of reservoirs and pumping stations to the river to the west of London, slowly helping the quality of water improve. The Victorian era was one of imaginative engineering. The coming of the railways added railway bridges to the earlier road bridges and also reduced commercial activity on the river. However, sporting and leisure use increased with the establishment of regattas such as a Henley and the boat race. On the 3rd of September 1878, one of the worst river disasters in England took place when the crowded pleasure boat Princess Alice collided with the Bywell Castle, killing over 640 people. The growth of road transport and the decline of the empire in the years following 1914 reduced the economic prominence of the river. During the Second World War, the protection of certain Thames-sized facilities, particularly docks and water treatment plants, 
was crucial to the munitions and the water supply of the country. The river's defences included Mansour forts in the estuary and the use of barrage balloons to counter German bombers using the reflectivity and shapes of the river to navigate during the Blitz. In the post-war era, although the Port of London remains one of the UK's three main ports, most trade has moved downstream from central London. In the late 1950s, the discharge of methane gas in the depths of the river caused the water to bubble and the toxins wore away at boats' propellers. The decline of heavy industry and tanneries, reduced use of oil pollutants, and improved sewage treatment that have led to much better water quality compared to the late 19th and early mid-20th centuries, and aquatic life has returned to its formerly dead stretches. Alongside the entire river runs the Thames Path, a national route for walkers and cyclists. In the early 1980s, a pioneering flood control device, the Thames Barrier, was opened. It is closed to tide several times a year to prevent water damage to London's low-lying areas upstream. In the late 1990s, the seven-mile, eight-kilometre-long Jubilee River was built as a wide, naturalistic flood relief channel from Taplow to Eton to help reduce the flood risk in Maidenhead, Windsor and Eton, although it appears to increase flooding in the villages immediately downstream. So I hope you've enjoyed our second part of three, looking at the River Thames and its history. In our third and final episode, we'll be looking at navigation upon the Thames, plus how the Thames is used these days including the many sports that are now used on the River Thames, which is one of its primary purposes. If you'd like to make contact with us or suggest any places you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, you can let me know through our website, londonvisited.co.uk, or through our social media. It's that easy. Also, a big thank you to Libsyn, our podcast host, for supporting this episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Really hope you enjoyed our podcast, and we'll see you soon on the next one. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening and please don't forget to subscribe to get more shows direct to your device. Also, why not visit our London Visited YouTube channel to get even more of London. Catch you soon on the next one.